Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Swear Jar, the official podcast of the Academy of Business Communications, where we tell it like it is about corporate and employee communications and occasionally use colorful language to raise money for worthy causes. My name is Elizabeth Williams. And I'm Andrew Brown, and we're going to tackle something that directly affects every single employee communications professional. Specifically, we're talking about the perception that communications is somehow... Here comes the term, a soft skill. Yes, we're going to quickly review why communication skills are historically called soft and compare them to those that are considered to be hard skills. We're going to examine what happens when organizations do label something as a soft skill, specifically communications. We're going to discuss whether that label is appropriate or not. And Elizabeth and I may be thinking differently about that. And we're also going to identify what every communications professional can do when communications is called or treated as a soft skill. We wouldn't even be having this discussion if every manager out there was great at communicating. True. And, and it's interesting because I don't think there's a job description for a manager or an executive or even for a barista that doesn't mention communication skills, right? Has mm-hmm. excellent written or verbal communication skills. It's just in every job description. Yep. And I guess we must all be really good at it, right? And, and yet Gartner <laughs> finds that 70% of business mistakes are due to poor communications. Every single year, Forbes puts communication skills in the top five skills that are required for businesses to grow and succeed. And it's the number one skill CEOs say they look for when they're hiring Hmm. senior leaders. And across sectors, uh, strong communication skills is cited as required for for building teams and increasing innovation, improving productivity and increasing loyalty, reducing conflict, (laughs) you know, employee engagement. Let's not forget about that fixing problems and building skills. And I guess if your business doesn't need to do any of these things, then I guess you don't need to worry about communicating well. So so what's interesting, and we would argue dangerous to the success of communications inside and across organizations, is that even when we have these forward-looking and long-established business institutions like Gartner and Forbes and Harvard Business Review and Business Insider are still saying that communications is a soft skill. Exactly. Uh, It's infuriating. And so, you know, we've worked with leaders in organizations across industries. And one thing is for sure, the most successful executives know that, as you said, communication skills actually aren't soft. Rather, they are extremely hard to practice, hard to get a mastery over, and hard to manage. And yet, ironically, they're still called soft. So let's begin by taking a look at some of the reasons that might have contributed to why they've been labeled as soft within organizations. And you know what? I'm going to get the ball rolling. I'm going to scream out lack of credibility. The truth is that most people do not receive any kind of formal communications training. And that that means when leaders succeed, their colleagues and their direct reports within organizations or or industries, it doesn't assume the key reasons are their technical skills, you know, the stuff on their resume. So communication skills are just overlooked. So I think lack of credibility is a big piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another one, we see this a lot, uh, the assumption of competence. Here's another reason that we've talked about several times, the communications fallacy, since everyone speaks, they think they can speak well. Since everyone hears, they think they can listen well. 
since everyone writes, they think they can write well. In other words, it's assumed that communications aren't skills to develop. They're just something that innately will come and will help excel their ability with pure repetition. And, and you know, this is dangerous. It's a dangerous assumption that is also made for such skills as time management and leadership and innovation and design thinking and negotiation, empathy, strategy, critical thinking, all these things. These are the skills that business schools drop the ball on. Totally. And, and actually, if you're looking for a good um, bit of reading about that, the uh, Arthur W. Page Society has a fantastic paper mm. that takes business schools to task for, for not doing a good job of preparing leaders who know how to communicate. And I will add to that one of the other problems we have is that we don't even define communications um, in, in organizations. So, so it's very, very loosely defined. Like back to the do- job description, we stop pretty much at must have strong written and oral communication skills. <laughs> and so the extension of this is that an assessment of communication skills are also n- almost never included in performance reviews unless you're really terrible at it. And, and so no one ever gets feedback on their communication skills unless they really suck. And so how serious can an organization be about something if they're not prepared to to measure it. And obviously, if they're not measuring Mm -hmm. it, they're probably not managing it. And we all know as communicators, they don't really fund it either. And so, Andrew, you have this theory you call excuse and evasion, which which suggests that some people just don't want to accept that they're not good at communication. So they brand it as a soft skill. And that means leaders don't actually have to devote any time to it. Do you want to unpack that one a little bit? Yeah, and I think we've all seen this. It's a reflection of something that is innate in humans. And that is we are drawn towards those things that we're really good at. And so when you're insecure about something, about your own skills, there will be a tendency to evade them and downplay them, uh, ridicule them, forget they exist, avoid them. So when it comes to comms, when uh, people may not be good at them, they brand the skill as soft so that leaders don't have to devote time to get better at at them. In contrast, suggest to a leader that they need to tackle a hard skill like financial analysis, and they'll stay up all night making sure they get additional dexterity because it gives them some valuable insight into the business. But if you for a moment suggest that they could get better at understanding how people think or feel, or how to build trust, rather than try to sway your influence through power, you know what, they're just not as eager. I'm not quite buying that one, I got to say, because that suggests that there is actually a deliberate relationship with communication competency that that exists in these these halls of power and and i actually think it's it's much more of a buck passing thing i don't even think they really think hard about do i have these skills or don't i i think there's this sort of assumption that if you need really good communication skills in your organization well you can go down to the communications department or the marketing department <laughs> and, and find people or you could just hire people like us and sort of like you know it's like an uber eats for communications and so i'm not i'm not quite buying that they're dismissing it deliberately i think they're just not really thinking about it exactly i think it's habitual and i'd suggest that buck passing is a consequence of excuse innovation still that contributes to why communications can be painted with a rather pejorative brushstroke. Let me just build on that. I'm going to suggest power. Just imagine if you didn't call communications a soft skill. Just imagine that. An organization would have to put a true value on it. Uh, remember that list of things that communication enables, you know, team building, innovation, all that? Well, imagine the value that communications would have if you actually 
said, this has got power. That would result in changes in structure and power. So for many organizations, it's just plain simpler to keep it ambiguous and call it soft. I'm going to repeat something that you mentioned earlier, and that is the lack of discipline when it comes to defining a skill set, a working definition. You know, it's not just about being able to write a newsletter nicely or speaking in front of an audience. So I think that the lack of a well-defined skill set as to what good communications happens to be. And of course, there's some fluctuation within organizations and industries, but there are also some real fundamentals. I think that the absence of that, that, that definition in a, in a related curriculum, if you will, that helps to erode the sense of what communications is and label it as soft. When you, you talked about curriculum, and I was actually talking to the head of an MBA program the other day about communication skills. And as soon as I, I mentioned, you know, the MBA programs don't teach comm skills, he immediately went to, oh, yeah, we could do ah. a better job of teaching writing and, and presenting, I guess. And I, and, and, you know, and then I sort of started talking about, well, okay. But as soon as I started talking about this strategic stuff, like, framing and sense-making and metaphor and body language. He was, he, he just got very, very quiet. And hmm. um, yeah. So, so I think that that understanding of what communications is in business is, is pretty murky, even in, in um, the Academy. So I, I think one other thing I'd like to pull on a little bit, because you talked a little bit about power and one other reason I think why communication skills may also be labeled as soft is that for decades, women made up 90% or more of the people who practice professional organizational communications. And, you know, in larger, more traditional organizations, men, uh, you know, didn't always consider the work of women to be nearly as important. So perhaps uh, implicitly or even explicitly, communications ends up getting labeled as soft because it's a a girl thing. And, Mm. um, you know, for sure, it's still a I think I think we're getting a little bit more gender uh, parity in communications, but I think that that could also be some of the sort of subtle bias at work there. Uh, without a doubt. So let's jump to speak briefly and take a look at a few of those organizational skills considered hard skills, you know, the contrast and see what makes them hard. Who knows? Maybe communications back shouldn't be in the running for hard skills. So here are a few that just sort of jump to mind. Finance, uh, engineering, product development, which is, of course, part of engineering and part finance, sales, project management. And over the past few years with the advent of automation marketing. And so it seems to me that the threads that run through them, that give them that brand as you know, not soft or now hard, include a few specifics. So one, an emphasis and a related discipline to quantify process and outcomes. That helps make a skills hard. What we were talking about before, having a defined skill set around what we mean. You know, when you think about something like Uh, sales or customer management. There are very specific metrics that are associated with that. And as a result, there are some skills associated to bring about those metrics. So I think that having that definition, that helps. And point three, I would add, there's got to be an explicit recognition and value placed on the skills within an organization. And 
course, correspondence reward and advancement because people demonstrate dexterity with those skills. So to my mind, uh, employee communications has the first two-ish. And as communicators, we're looking for ways to prop up point three, the idea of explicit recognition and value placed on communication skills. I would also add, because you and I kind of just have disagreed for months on what the, mm-hmm. uh, it's actually taken us months to record this because we've been batting it back and yeah. forth, disagreeing about it. And, and I, I think one of the things we sort of disagree on is what is a hard skill. So I would throw in there too, that, that I think a hard skill is one where it, you can demonstrate competence in it. And I, and mm-hmm. I think we're getting there between frameworks that come from accreditation and, um, and your other point there just about, about tying being good at it to some other corporate goal that we all acknowledge is an important thing is part of it. But I think at this point, it also makes a bit of sense to um, think about what happens when a skill is perceived as soft within an organization. And mm-hmm. certainly our, our fearless communicators, you know, hands up if this is you, um, know the tangible consequences. It means that you get very little budget uh, devoted to developing the skills. You get uh, very little budget devoted to the department that's in charge of communications. Um, mm-hmm. You get organizations that that talk a good game about um, you know, the importance of communication, but don't really do it well, or, or you get even worse communication is, is hauled out as the reason something didn't work. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. There was a stupid idea and a terrible strategy and a craptastic product. No, we just didn't communicate it well. So that's our problem. Yeah. And who's in charge of communications? That's when there's that evade kicks in and it's, oh, it's those communicators over there, right? You've completely abdicated responsibility for communications to the the communicators. And because the project didn't go well, well, then it was the communicator's fault. Yeah, we've been there. (laughs) So we've talked about why your organization probably comes to think of communications as as a set of soft skills. And we've also talked about what typically constitutes hard skill and the impact on the organization when communication skills are perceived as soft. So Elizabeth, do you think fearless communicators should look to shake their leaders into recognizing that communication is anything but soft? Or do you think they should embrace that perception that communications are soft skills? And tell me why. Well, I think most fearless communicators just want to shake their leaders, period. <laughs> but um, honestly, I think we need to get away from this hard skill versus soft yeah. skill conversation. I think, you know, yes, hard skills are prioritized in organizations for all the reasons you you mentioned, and, and mostly because they're the skills that are easy to assess. You know, we have instruments to measure competency in most of those skills around engineering and finance and stuff. But I would argue, too, that soft skills are having a moment, right? CEOs are mm-hmm. doubling down on their EQ and culture and authenticity and, and vulnerability and all that. And so I don't think the issue with communications is whether it's a hard skill or a soft skill so much that it's a taken for granted skill. Mm. Right? We go, go, of course, managers can communicate. It's what they do all day long. They talk and they go to meetings and they write stuff. And so they must be good at it because they're doing it all day long. And I think you talked earlier about this, this fallacy that if I do something often enough, I must be awesome at it. Mm. Take one look at how I golf. I can tell you that after 10 years of golf, it just doesn't get better. But I think that that, that view sort of misses just how fundamental communications really are to pulling off all the other hard and soft stuff. Yeah, well said. And that brings us 
back to the, that very narrow understanding of communications as things like writing and speaking and pulling together PowerPoints, right? Those are the tip of the iceberg. To do the writing and, and, and talking parts, well, managers need to understand how to do the framing, how to use stories, how to use body language, when to use metaphors and other tools to create meaning and great stories within the organization. They need to know how and when to listen and do it well. We spend a lot of time teaching that skill and how to assess stakeholders, how to make the world make sense for their teams, how to communicate in crisis, whew, how to communicate with diverse groups and so on. So where does that leave us, right? Where can we go? What should fearless communicators do? Well, before we close in on what fearless communicators can do when communications are called or treated as soft skills, I'd like to remind all listeners of the Swear Jar, they can take advantage of some amazing benefits, including a 10% uh, discount on all of our online workshops. And of course, we have our most popular workshop, Employee Change Communications that work. We just announced some new dates. And if you're experiencing any kind of resistance in your organization, hmm, does that happen? Why not join us for our Overcoming Resistance workshop? That's 75 minutes. And this workshop provides you with real practical frameworks and tools you can use to anticipate and reduce resistance that you or your colleagues face. And we've also launched some 90-minute workshops for $99. One workshop helps you make sense of that quagmire that is online employee reviews. Um, another helps you measure employee communication so that you're a rock star with your supervisors and make headway with providing executives with metrics that really matter to them. And finally, we have this awesome workshop on corporate storytelling. Having said all that, I, I haven't quite run out of breath. So let's identify what every fearless communicator can do to varying degrees to help remove that stigma and the limitations caused by communication skills and organizations being labeled as soft. First, find out what is truly valued within an organization organization and link your employee communications to those key projects, those initiatives, the corporate goals, then measure and report on communications as contributors to those priorities. Our measuring course goes deep into that. That's the first point. Second, stop focusing on output and tools. Start evaluating communication skills and processes within your organization and work with your training folks and or outside consultants to get communications training up and running, particularly if you have a management or high potential program that supports future leaders. Get some communications training in there and not just writing on PowerPoint, please. Let's, let's talk about strategy. Third, call out bad communications. Regardless, even if it's a leader that's communicating poorly, don't let it sit in and fester. Don't let communications be the catch-all for when something goes wrong. If poor communications was the culprit of something gone wrong and it often is call it out. Identify a solution that improves communications and the desired outcomes. And be specific, folks, this is where doing some data collection helps you. So offer to go and find out where better communications would have helped. 
That's a good summary. I think what I would add to that is, is to dig deep. Like why did a communication fail, mm. right? Was it just poorly executed or was it doomed from <laughs> the beginning because it just wasn't the right strategy or the right message or the right audience, um, or you didn't, you didn't throw enough budget at it, or you didn't have the right people involved. So we, we need to understand when things go wrong, exactly why they go wrong. We don't get to just say it was bad. Mm. Um, and I think we need to get executives into the tent, right? They need yeah. to understand that communications is a lot more than just email and PowerPoint. We need to be coaching them uh, so that they can see what the value of good communications is. And, and, uh, and they can start looking at it as, you know, work and discipline that, that has to go into pulling together stakeholder plan, communication plans or to institutionalize listening, you know, or to drive change. So, so I think I would add those to your summary. I think that makes a great deal of sense. You know, as always, at this point, we'd like to review what's caught our attention over the last little while. So Elizabeth, what are you reading, watching, listening to that you think our fearless communicator listeners would find interesting or compelling? Well, there's some new research by mm. um, Morning Consult in Trust. It's a survey called Tracking Trust in U.S. Institutions. And it's really, really interesting, actually, because mm. um, the pandemic did a number on trust. And, uh, and this is American data and from April of this year. So the, the most trusted institutions in America, uh, trusted by Americans, are the military and the scientific community. And so I, it, it's pleasing to see that scientists are they're just a few mm. points behind the soldiers. The other interesting thing is between between Democrats and Republicans, it's actually pretty even about trust in corporate America, which I was surprised at. Unsurprisingly, there's more trust among Republicans in the police than the Democrats. But I'm hmm. um, just going back to the trust in corporate America. That's a, a year ago in 20, October of 2020. It's so not even six months ago. Um, there was a huge gap between trust among um, Republicans and Democrats in, in corporate America with, with Democrats being way behind, um, 17 points behind. And now that's almost even, which is kind of interesting to me. And um, yeah, and about half of, of Americans um, trust the U.S. government in April of 2021 versus 39% in January. So it's, what I'm taking away from that is it's trust is extremely fluid. It's extremely context-driven, um, you know, in the, in the face of a pandemic. So I'm going to be very interested to see how these numbers evolve over the next six months as we start maybe coming out of this. So, yeah, and we'll put yeah. a link to that in the show notes. That's that's interesting stuff. And there's also the um, Edelman Trust Barometer. That's also mm. a great source. I always am fascinated by trust. And we've had a couple of guests talking about trust. Paul Zach recently talked about the neuroscience of uh, trust. And I'm fascinated by the fact that we as human beings really want to trust. It's difficult. There's a hurdle that has to be overcome in, in order for us to trust. And there's a fragility to trust as well. <laughs> I think too, what I'm reading into this is what have you done for me lately, right? Mm. And so trust in the US government is climbing, you know, it's up 11 points in, in three months. And I think that is directly related both to the change of the occupant of the White House, but I would also argue that vaccinations, right? Oh, what have you done for yeah. me lately? All oh, right, you gave me a jab. And, um, uh, and similarly, I think the trust in corporate America is maybe coming up as a result of the response to the pandemic, the ability to crank out a vaccine in, in very short order. So I, I wonder how, I think it's going to be interesting to see that the relationship between trust and recent experience. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to watch that evolve. I am always fascinated about human behavior because uh, as, as fearless communicators, we have to deal with that. That's our bread and butter. And one source that I have often uh, referred to is uh, a 
a book called Motivating Humans, Goals, Emotions, and Personal Agency Beliefs. And it's by, by Martin Ford. And I actually used this years ago while I was pulling together my master's tome on organizational culture and motivation in organizations. And one of the things that's really powerful in this book is that it has a nice taxonomy of the different motivations uh, that, that humans have and breaks it down into sort of like these very uh, half a dozen chunks. And essentially in 23 bullet points, you can see the different motivations that people can drop on. And of course, as fearless communicators, uh, we can sometimes fall into that habit of thinking of the same motivations that are, are driving organizational behavior, but there are so many nuances. And so having this resource beside you to say, hmm, I wonder if this ball is in play, I find that to be a very useful resource. And again, that's Motivating Humans uh, by Martin E. Ford. Yeah, I, I will give that a look. I'm also doing a little reading on the science of motivation. So this brings us to the end of our podcast. So folks, please remember to like the heck out of us and subscribe to the podcast. Um, pretty much any platform where you can find podcasts, you can find the swear jar. And of course, we welcome your thoughts or suggestions. We'd love to hear ideas for future topics because we're not always good at thinking of them on our own. Uh, so anything you'd like us to explore, drop us a line to info at fixmycoms.com and uh, we'll get straight back to you. That's awesome. And that's it for us today. A shout out to Peter Lindsman, our editor extraordinaire and Simon Gladstone, who is our website visionary. Elizabeth, as always, thank you. And I can't believe we did go through this entire episode without swearing. Crap, we did, didn't we? And for all our listeners of The Swear Jar, stay fearless. Bye for now. Bye.